Ahoy, world! I'm Brent. I'm Chris. <laughs> Brent, Chris, talk. We were off last week. We were, and uh, it was a necessary break. Yeah. Get some things done, um, but we're back, and that's the most important thing. And we have a lot of good stuff to talk about today. Yeah, I feel like we missed a lot. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, with the the week being a blur, it's like, you know, should you go into a whole bunch of that, or you just dive into the this week and what, what highlights there? do you? Remember, I have a couple that I I really did want to get to, but yeah. we were off last week. You go first. Uh, the one that just really sticks with me is we know that there's a couple, uh, couple gentlemen who are throwing their name in in the hat in the Republican side. Yep. Trying to run against Trump. And Bill Walsh. Bill, uh, Joe, is it Joe Walsh? No, I, I get Joe Walsh is the musician. I know. Right? I still think that's his name, but no, I really do. Anyways, yeah. but uh, he was from Illinois. Uh, he was an yes. Illinois congressman. There's We're not no extremely well versed in this. So yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, but he, he was a politician in Illinois. Illinois. Anywho, yep. so he he wants to go ahead. I'm gonna make sure I'm projecting well. <laughs> do I still remember how to do this? Uh, anyways, he decided to run against uh, Trump as primary challenger, and I believe the ex governor of uh, Colorado. He was on the Green Party, vice president. Okay. Yeah, last time Couple around of folks, with yeah. the yellow tie, crazy dude. I know it's like you really need to make choices that people won't think you're just absolutely out there. Right. So now, what I thought was interesting or I found frustrating about this is that there's been like five states, uh, mainly southern states, oh, yes. that have just decided they're not even going to have a primary. Yep. On the Republican side. Yep. And I get that these people have virtually no chance of winning any of those primaries or even making a dent but isn't this america like shouldn't we have a choice regardless like nobody should be stifling opinion right what happened to free speech so i'm curious we have a cricket in the studio today and uh he's hello jiminy yep. we missed you yep that's uh, hopefully hopefully i'll drop like <laughs> a good fact or a bad joke and it'll be well well-timed. Oh, but, my uh, gosh. That'd be perfect. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You know what they say about working with animals. So, um, I, again, I just think that this whole primary thing really highlights that the Republican Party is the party of Trump. Oh, man. I mean, they are down the rabbit hole, and they're not coming he back. He has a stranglehold on them. Yes. They, yes, he has an absolute stranglehold on them. Yeah. And, um, Regardless of circumstances, the stranglehold is there. Now, I, that being said, I... I think if somebody really was passionate on the Republican side about making sure Trump didn't win, they would run third party. Well, yes, we've had sidebars about this. Um, I, we mentioned it on the show, too, Yep. about uh, Kasich. Yep, you're right. I just, I think that if you really believe in it, you throw your name in the hat as a third party. And you go TR on them and bull moose the, the way in to... Bull moose the way in. <laughs> to making a dent into one of the candidates. Uh, usually one will take the hit, right, when there's... Like Ross Perot did it. I can't remember if it was Bush won, if that was the election. But there's instances, I think I talked about that too, where yeah. these uh, third-party candidates have screwed Made over one of the... I know, and there's no joke, Jiminy. You're too early. I know. Oh, you missed your cue. <laughs> So, um, yeah. yeah, I that I would love to see a solid Republican candidate go third party. So I guess he would be Republican, but Make somebody it with Republican values. Yes. 
through and through, no one with the baggage and or, I mean, every, every politician has some baggage, but stuff we can live with, not things where you're just like, I'm going to have to completely set aside all of my moral compass <laughs> in order to accept this, in my opinion. Uh, I've seen a few interesting polls, too, okay. uh, on the Democratic side, switch gears here. Yep. Um, most of Americans approve of Joe Biden's medic, uh, his health care solution. Correct. Building on the foundation of the Affordable Care Act. And still allowing private. Yep. Allowing the private uh, industry to exist, which I think uh, a couple of folks in the last debate were sticking up for him. Uh, Klobuchar, the senator, sure. um, and someone else, basically just saying that, uh, you know, this is the most, you know, reasonable route without completely flipping everything on its head. That's, I think, their argument. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that uh, that makes sense to a lot of more Americans, especially when you start thinking about how people argue um, against people trying to kill the Affordable Care Act this and is... defund it and all that. I have ideas for the insurance company if they have to be a player still in, in the system. But, I mean, part of me thinks it's ridiculous that there is a middleman when it comes to our health. Like, there's people there's people that are, so are very, you, very rich. Are you saying that you wouldn't even want there to be... So, what about supplemental policies? Like, for example, when you retire and you're on Medicare, Medicare won't necessarily pay for 100% of every procedure or everything you need for your health care. So there's these supplemental policies that you can buy to cover the rest of it or another portion of those costs, you know, and you, you pay for it just yeah. like regular insurance. No, you're right. I understand what you're saying. And, and my, you know, I guess my answer on that is that it's not a, uh, wow, is it that bad? The cricket just... Won't give me a break here. Uh, <laughs> my idea on that is that it's not just a um, a one simple fix to solve the problem. Like it's a very multifaceted issue, and that in order to make it work, where we could maybe cover all the costs, we have to find ways to lower the cost of those uh, of the treatments. Like mm -hmm. America spends way more on healthcare, and like if you like look at the data and and if you assume that there's not going to be any changes to, like, if you go with Bernie's plan, and, and you assume that there's no changes for the price of health care, mm -hmm. and he just starts covering it all on one payer, yeah. and it, like, bankrupts the country in, I think, 25 years or something. But that's that's not assuming the changes that they would make to the cost of medicine and how we do treatment and other things. That's a lot to unpack. It's and that's so again. This is another thing we're gonna like skate right on by that because it's yeah. not the topic of the yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. Kind of fits in. Yeah. But skating by it, uh, that Trump tweet that I sent you. Yep. So Trump sends out this tweet that basically yeah calls out uh, what it calls out the European Union lowering their uh, uh, devaluing the euro. They're yes. basically. They are manipulating their currency in order to make it less strong than the dollar, therefore uh, making the U.S. imports more expensive and less attractive for Europeans. And this is what drives me nuts about this. Because while I read this text, I'm researching this show, okay? And I know that if I want to figure out and unpack what this 
commander-in-chief uh, put out there in his 140 characters that I'm going to have to put, like, at least two hours, probably, an hour's <laughs> worth of research into figuring out what, what he's talking about, find objective sources, and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's not feasible to keep up with that. Yeah, well, I mean, he tries to oversimplify everything. And, and you can't. Like, America needs to it's... stay out of things... Americans individually need to stay out of things that they don't aren't willing to put the time into better understand. Sure. You well, you can't read something from the president in 140 characters and then quote it as fact. Everyone loves to have an opinion, one, and that doesn't always have to be an informed opinion, unfortunately. You know. Speaking of, I'm just fired up right now, so yeah. sorry. The other thing that's been what bothering me... really grinds me, your gears, look, Chris? Yeah, this is. It grinds my gears. Is that I keep seeing these posts, we've talked about this too, about things that AOC has tweeted. Correct. And they're like poorly photoshopped. So, the one yeah. I... Yeah, I've seen too that are poorly photoshopped. You can like see how the white is different in the square where they've like posted it in and people are like, she's so dumb. Come on on people if you are willing to retweet or facebook post something of a tweet that somebody else said and you aren't willing to at least just get on twitter to see if they actually said it yep don't don't really, put it back out there it's really easy to just google that thing and say aoc says whatever they said and you yes. can figure it out pretty quick Have, i've done the same thing like some of it i mean people are legitimately passing along something that i would say okay that's kind of ridiculous then it wasn't aoc yeah but i've given we talked offline about how it happens you're like okay well that's legit like it, it you have to look for the facts but oftentimes especially with uh aoc i i don't i, I struggle to say her full name so i won't try but yeah um basically you get that and it's just like it, a lot of the made-up ones, it just makes you lose faith in people's ability to form an objective and educated opinion. So, it, it, very well put. So, that's well put. That really grinds my gears as well. Yeah. So it ties into I feel like the Walmart thing and stuff like that. I mean, it's just it's. Oh yeah. People know we don't know our rights, and people aren't willing to do the research and. Well, it's the whole quote-unquote ask forgiveness thing, taken to the extreme. Where if you, I'm going to keep doing things, and if you get mad about it, then I'll say, well, I wasn't trying to hurt you. Right. I was just trying to do the best thing I Me could culpa. for you. Yeah, so. Yeah, I get it. I get it. They're just, I, I request everyone uh, assign themselves a level of personal accountability in what they put out there. The research that we do goes into the show takes a lot of time. I yep. mean, um, and I'm proud of the research that, that we do and put out there. And I feel sources. like we're yeah, giving you, and we always show our sources. You know where it's coming from. Um, and I'm not saying you have to go to that level, but if it's something silly, like a tweet that you think someone said and it grinds your gears, check it out. Like, at least go that far before you put it back out there in the ether. Yep, spread the misinformation. There are a lot of vulnerable people out there that I have tried to steer back and say just check out snoops or google or something and figure out if this is really what people are proposing or what they've said so uh so uh anything else we want to throw in how was your week you know your life good your everything else aside busy busy yeah, yeah. lots going on busy busy kids are doing well though um yep. 
So I think that's probably the best thing that's going on and something I'll take and run with because if they're not doing well, then everybody's not doing well. Right. I feel like we're finally, I'm coming into a sweet spot with my kids where Harrison is moving out of the terrible twos and Evelyn's coming into this like really sweet spot where like she's calm all, before the storm. Yeah, exactly. You know, she's it's a wonderful not time. a terrible twos yet. So. Yeah, but gaining more independence. Mm-hmm. Getting, I mean, she's walking like crazy. Mm -hmm. Just blew my mind. I, I was uh, reading, well, I was reading to her, and then we have picture books, and we gave her, I gave her a bunch of picture books today, and then I was playing a game with Harry, trying to keep them separated. And uh, it worked out great. I mean, she just sat there and flipped through the picture books, and I tried to help her say a word every now and then, and yeah. she wasn't getting in Harry's stuff. Harry was happy, and it was good. Life it was is good, good when that goes on. Yeah. All right. So uh, we already told you guys what we were doing uh, in our last episode, this episode, and that was we're going to dive into Big Pharma, yep. but we didn't want to do the same take on Big Pharma that everyone's doing. So we didn't do anything on the opioid. Yep. Uh, not strictly. We'll probably mention some of that, but I mean, it's not like we're going to yeah, I'll gloss over segment. it. It'll be like... It's important, and it's a major crisis, but it's not the focus it's of this well covered. Big Pharma piece that we're going to go on now. Yes. It's um, a much broader topic. I have done the research on this and found myself sick to my stomach several times. Well, there's a lot to, uh, you know, find behind uh, the covers or under the covers, so to speak. I mean, you start looking into the history of everything. And, I mean, we talked before about, and, I mean, we've read, you know, historical accounts. And, you know, there's always been a healer, right? Yeah. People that have... Uh, provided medicines or comfort or whatever it may be, midwife, you know, apothecary, um, witch doctors, shaman, whatever you want to call them, the healer, right, of the communities. And sometimes they're revered in yeah. cultures. Other times they're persecuted. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, there's that's like through history, there's always been that element of things. And so, you know, over time and, I mean, like we were talking, I'm pretty sure that, uh, anesthetics and like major painkillers were not readily available during the Civil War. So like after that, you get like towards the 1900s and around then, you start having these major breakthroughs, you know, and yeah. these drugs coming out and like uh, people start realizing the power of medicine, right? Right, and it starts to grow. And medicine has come, you know, light years in my opinion, especially over the past 150 years, yeah. You know, and so you have that going on. And um, as with anything that is um, influential and powerful and, like, weapons and uh, you know, alcohol and all kinds of industries, right, uh, business takes hold, right, right? and uh, develops ways to make profit, um, to continue and sustain the corporation, the business entity, right? Um, to maximize the value to the shareholder. You know, that's what business is in the capitalist system. Yep. Um, so you have all those elements. And I think, yeah, you know, it just kind of becomes this machine that we have today. And that's, and again, I think that's a good point that, that our show today is not on pharma, uh, not on pharmaceutical, it's on big pharma. Yep. And what I would argue where we went horribly wrong <laughs> Uh, uh, with things. Um, these are some statistics from today. Not like today, but uh, the world we live in today. 30% mm -hmm. of prescriptions are never filled. 
Right. Most of that's due to people can't afford them. Okay. Um, drug prices. Yeah, I know. Uh, drug prices are rising four times higher than our wages. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. I believe that too. You know, and I had some data I was looking at that, you know, over the course of years, you know, certain uh, drugs had gone up. You know, anywhere between twenty-five to three hundred percent. Yeah. You know, and then I mean, we're talking a short time span, like two, three, maybe four years. Uh, the same thing, exact same thing, is just flying up in terms of, and it just can't be demand that's driving that. It's not. Right? It's it's very much greed. Yeah. And um, so the, this is the first kind of thing I will throw at you to think about. Yeah. Uh, I argue that one of the problems with big pharmaceutical companies is, um, is honest to God, a lack of technology to make doctors understand the patients needs and affordability prices there's a gap oh <laughs> because like with let, let's take blood pressure medicine something that a lot of americans are on okay it could cost as little as four dollars a month or it could cost as much as 577 dollars a month <clears throat> sure just based on what drug or insurance co-pays everything you have yep. and there are a hundred thousand other outcomes and with like different variables yep Yep, we talked about this. I mean, my argument back to you was, well, the doctor, I don't want a doctor that is a financial advisor. I, I want a doctor that's the best freaking doctor I can have. That's an expert in medicine. Right. And knowing that, and knowing that, not everyone even thinks about that side of it. Like, it's not the doctor's fault that necessarily yeah. that you're getting prescribed a super expensive drug when there's a potential that the same kind of relief could be provided by a less expensive one. But it's the tool. It's the, the, the bridge between the doctor allowing them to make the best decision because they don't have anything readily available. And that's the thing. Depending on which drug rep services your doctor greatly depends on what medicine you'll be getting. Yep. It's not, argu oh, yeah. arguably you're not getting the best. Yep. And who's pushing the best you're getting the one that's... incentives for those sales? So I, I put forth the solution that we really should let the... Uh, you know, we need to let our pharmacist be able to make changes uh, like understand what the prescription is going for and make changes based on that sure and i think that pharmacists would be a great tool in doing that this information i'm uh, actually talking about came from a pharmacist his name's michael ray and he did a great talk hmm. uh michael ray ria i'm not sure how he says it well he, i mean you think about it it could be even a combination of the doctor could like the symptoms could be cataloged in, in such a fashion that drug options could be provided almost like i don't know like a, a self-service type menu for the uh, pharmacist when they're talking they're like they have to do consultations in illinois i think it's like a law like you have to get talked spoken to right to from the pharmacist yeah. yeah so during that you could say hey i filled Is this cheaper options yeah i yeah. looked for the generic you know and i think that a lot of times it may be the default but it's still there's a massive opportunity to make sure that people are guaranteed to get the best price and this is another reason why it's important to support your local pharmacies like, go to a good pharmacist. Sure. Because they're going to try to find cheaper drugs. Dock in the box, like, or same issue as, like, Walgreens, CVS. They're not going to probably give you the same personal treatment hmm. as a small pharmacy could. Probably, yeah. I yeah. believe that. Um, so this uh, Michael Rhea, Ray talked about uh, a rash he had. The extra mile I go to for you guys with the research. You read all about this rash. Yeah, read about this rash. So he got... He got uh, he got prescribed this nystatin tri 
aminoline. Okay. Okay. And it was going to cost him $103. Okay. And this drug was actually just two active ingredients that they put together. Okay. Right. So he could get it separately. Then a statin would cost him $4. So you think, wow, that triamoline, triamicoline, I'll never get there, uh, must be expensive. No, it cost $2.17. If you put it together, it made a savings of 94%. So he had one cream. With these two active ingredients, the manufacturing process or whatever drove them to call it charge $103, $104 almost. Yep. But then each separate cream could be put together and it'd be $6.17. Yeah, saving of 94%. That's and amazing. Yeah, so... Like, I don't want everybody playing doctor and figuring that out, but... It's crazy. And, like, what he was saying is that <clears throat> it was like... It's like you go to Lowe's. I love Lowe's, so I'm going to stick with Lowe's. Sure. Go to Lowe's, and you want to buy a nut and a bolt, you can go and pull out the drawers, and you can find the right one, the right thread count, whatever. Yeah. Boom, boom. Yeah. It's going to cost you, what, 20 cents? Sure. Well, you know, yeah, I got you. Dollar. It'll be cheap. It'll be cheap. Or you could go a few, like, like you know, little, whatever they call, aisles down, Yeah. and you could get the ones that are prepackaged, and it's going to cost you, like, six bucks. Right. Just because someone took the time to put it together. And in this case, he he was able to buy these two active ingredients by themselves. But for a lot of times, you can't do that. Because the drug companies aren't putting them out there. Sure. And it may not be possible to like put that together. To, exactly. And like he, he knew that he could actually apply these two creams independently and achieve the same results. Like This was an instance where it... it it would have been fine. Uh, he argued that illness to wellness should be a choice that we get to how we choose how to do that. It shouldn't be mandated with you have to have the most expensive heart medicine or something when there's a cheaper one who could do the same thing. I mean, as long as it has the same principles that will solve your ailment, then why not? I mean, why wouldn't the cheapest be the default? Right. It should be. And and there's a lot of reasons why there well, I'll get to that. Mm -hmm. But yeah. uh, so this guy, uh, just to throw him a shout out in his company, he started something called RX Saving Solutions, which actually would go through and help find the cheapest way to get a drug. Okay. And so this is something you could actually do. Huh, um, that's neat. The Berkshire Hathaway Medical Group yep. reduced their pharmacy spending by 1.8% despite a 12% rise in pharmaceutical prices over that same time. Wow. It's pretty good. I think that's impressive. So, uh, do you want to do like the general overview statistics? I like these. Yeah, let's the, have some. These are fun for me. Stats are great. I think so. Uh, almost 70% of Americans are at least one prescription drug. 50% take two or more, 20% are on five or more, and that's according to the Mayo that's Clinic. That's crazy. But you know what? I mean, like, I know for a fact that my parents both have some prescriptions that they take, and like my grandmother has a ton. Yep. Um, and I'm, I know just people all over the place who take medicines. I, I, I prescribe them, and I don't have any, fortunately. Like, I'd knock on some chair. Chairs are what? Knock on that. Um, I, I don't have any, and I think that's that's something that like my goal in life is to maintain my level of health through diet and exercise to the point where I can try to avoid as many medicines yeah. as possible because your body has to filter like all the like your kidneys and your mm -hmm. liver and like all has to filter through all those and. I do allergy medicines, and I know I probably should stop doing that. Part of that's just where we live. Yeah. It's not a great place. Well, you know. For allergens. Sure. And I have a bunch of cats, too, because I'm a bleeding heart. Take yeah. care of the animals. <laughs> and, 
None of that helps. So yeah, and I believe so. It's just a massive amount, and so I mean, you know, you start to think about that. Let's get into like a stat of mine that kind of ties into that. Seventy yeah, percent of Americans are on one uh, prescription. Why is that? Well, I think one of the contributing factors is that of the top thirteen pharmaceutical companies uh, that are out there, they spent sixty percent more on marketing than they did on research. One over a trillion dollars in marketing. And I think around six hundred and fifty billion on research, which six hundred and fifty billion on research is impressive, but I think we'll get into where all that research money is really going and why it's not so impressive. Yeah. Yeah, for every that I found just to par parrot your statement, for every one dollar pharmaceutical companies spend on research and development, um, on a new drug, they spend nineteen dollars advertising that drug. Yep. Call your doctor now and ask them why such and such can help you with all of your ailments. Such and such, yeah. And by the way, the next 30 seconds are going to be spent telling you why it's going to kill you, cause a psychotic episode, or something else that's catastrophic to your life. Yeah, causes the thing you are trying yeah. to take it to stop. But, you know what we can do to solve that? Give you Give six you more medicine. drugs that will counteract that and then vice versa each other. <laughs> and then eventually you'll just become so, so ill, yeah. you'll wind up in the hospital and die. 51%, I, this ties into what you just said too, 51% of prescribed drugs make up only 8% of the cost that U.S. spend, um, where 49% of the drugs are have exclusive marketing rights and make up the 92% of uh, spend. All prescriptions. So, okay, I'm sorry, I said that badly. 51% of the drugs that we buy make up 8% that the cost, uh, 8% that we spend yep. on... On all pharmaceuticals. On the generics. 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 Okay. So the the other forty nine percent that are patented. Okay. Forty nine percent are patented. There's no generics of them. Okay. Okay. They make up ninety two percent of the money spent. Okay. So there's just okay. So it's just proving there's, the fact that generics are so much cheaper. And but there are so few. Correct. So much, so much fewer. There's so yes, there's so much fewer. Xanax. Yep. That's a popular one. Uh, it has a five hundred and seventy thousand percent markup. Ugh. It just makes you want to throw up. I know, dude. I like rechecked that number like three times. Yeah, that's it, nuts. It costs less than. It costs less than three cents to make a pill, and they cost over a hundred and thirty-seven dollars a tablet. And that's according to the Livestrong Institute. That's amazing. I wonder how they got the cost to make that thing. I mean, I had some of these, but I mean, that's just nothing like that. I mean, mine, mine's like piddly. I had one where basically they uh, had a 12-week course of pills for hepatitis C treatments, 84 grand for that. And they made 50, 50 billion in sales in a year, but 570,000%. I mean, that's a hell of a markup. Well, how do they justify this stuff? Isn't there some they evil... Don't. There's some like evil guy who was in the news who like bought some Shkreli, rights. yeah, Martin Shkreli, yeah, and like, you know he's gonna rot because he was trying to like make people go through hell to get this medication. Like, wow, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, uh, and evil. In 2013, the total spent on drugs in America topped 329 billion dollars. Uh, yeah, it's roughly a thousand dollars a person per per person in America. Wow. 
And also in 2013, the worldwide pharmaceutical profits were $980 billion, which was twice as much as 10 years prior. And that's so that speaks to the growth of the industry. I mean, so you didn't have, at least to my knowledge, these massive drug companies, you know, until I think 70s, 80s. That's when they started like really proliferating. I think they definitely saw the happy pill. And then the 90s, it just like poof, explodes, yeah. right? That's like the golden age of pharmaceuticals in the 90s. And then you get into this thing where um, the pharmaceutical industry uh, was making massive profits, locking these things, these drugs down on patents, and then uh, basically finding themselves uh, making a lot less money once the generics hit the market. And then so what they did was they basically developed these tactics to get around the generic market. Um, one thing they did was screwing around with the patents, basically right. modifying, doing the re putting the research dollars into modifying the existing drugs just enough to make them different, to rename them and get a new patent. Now, evergreening the patent. Evergreening. Yep, keeping it evergreen. It's always under patent and locked down for that company. They also uh, got the, the Supreme Court to allow uh, Pharmaceutical companies got the Supreme Court through a lawsuit to allow them to pay generic drug makers to delay the release of generic equivalent medications for a certain time after the patent expires. So they're actively colluding to lock down the generic makers so they're not putting How them on the market faster. How do you get the Supreme faster. Court on board? Well, basically it was a lawsuit. They started doing it. Somebody found out. They sued them because they did, said that it was it should be illegal. You shouldn't be able to do this. And they lost. God, I wish I understood that better. Yep. I don't understand how that makes... Well, it's basically you're doing something that people think should be illegal. And it's one way of creating laws, a basis of law to enforce. And so, because you can have Congress write laws, you know, vote I... them in and get the president signs them, all that. Or you can have precedent through legal standing. And so as they a, did that. As a songwriter, like, I get it. Yeah. Like, Disney found a way to extend copyright just before that ran out for them sure. like and and i get it i get it but i don't know how you have a heart and soul and do that for for pharmaceuticals oh but just wait i have more Ugh. so what they also do to uh to stifle the generics from getting out there and reducing their profits is <clears throat> they pay a lot of money to the supplier uh, to their suppliers and their what they're what are called pharmacy benefit managers. Yep. Um, they give them rebates and chargebacks for the medications that they approve for their pharmacies that they support. And so, so in essence, yeah, the more the more they actually have to cover, yep. the more they make. Yep, exactly. The more expensive, the better. Uh, this totaled. 150 billion dollars in rebates and chargebacks to the 13 or I'm sorry from the 13 biggest pharmaceutical companies to these uh, they're called P PBMs pharmacy yep. benefit managers uh, so 150 billion dollars in 2017 how staggering is that right so they do this they approve the the higher more expensive medications for prescription drug coverage for their policyholders and they rather so rather than trying to contain those costs they're basically just encouraged to, like you said, to cover medications that yield higher rebates that charge yeah. their, their uh, customers more money. Yeah. I mean, that there's no heart and soul in that at all. It's And, like you said, they've raised prices on all their medications. And from what I've read, they've yet to show any great reason or rationale. 
No, they don't have to. Uh, it's no. not illegal. Um, so, I'm gonna. Do you hear I talk about big pharma and cancer? Yeah. This is what I feel like is not talked about enough. Yeah. No, no. In yeah. Let's do it. There are 580,000 cancer deaths in America every year. Yep. There are researchers, uh, researchers like Michelle Holmes. She's the associate professor at Harvard Medical School, and she has tried years to raise money for trials of the effects of aspirin yep. on breast cancer. Um, in animal trials, uh, it showed aspirin may inhibit breast cancer from spreading, yet her peers on, on the scientific advisory board seem uninterested. Okay. And for some reason, uh, this is a quote from her, for some reason, a drug that could be patented would get a randomized trial, but aspirin goes unexplored because it's 99 cents at CVS. So, because they can't make money off of it. They won't put the tr in the trials. Yeah. Now, this is something I think super interesting, and I, I wanted to save this, but I'm going to do it right now. And in... Okay, in September of 2013, the Britain, British Health Services decided they would fund it. Okay. And the study is actually going on right now. It runs until 2025 and involves thousands of people. Um, it's actually looking at the survival and the, um, what's it called when it comes back? Ooh. I know remissions when it's going when away. It's, when it comes out of remission. Okay. Um, but it, it wasn't just breast cancer they're studying. Now it's colorectal, prostate, and gastroesophageal cancers. Wow. And do you have any guess why Britain would be interested in that research? No. Because they have to pay the bill for their people. Oh, yep. So they have an interest. Yep, in negotiating a lower rate. Not even that, in finding cheaper methods to treat these things. Well, yeah, for sure. Negotiating, achieving lower, it's all the same thing. Sure. In, yep, 2000, in 2010, 10 cancer drugs each topped $1 billion in sales. Yeah. This guy, I'm never going to get his name right, uh, Vikas Sakutmi. Wow. I know. Uh, they started a nonprofit called Global Cures, and it uh, promotes alternate treatments for what they call financial orphans. What you were talking about, the patents that they try to evergreen, yep. they're trying to get money for the ones that aren't going to make them, uh, aren't going to make the pharmaceutical companies more money. Right. And so that's what you're talking about with the research of this aspirin thing. Like, aspirin's readily available. Yes. Let's talk about the other part of it, too. And, like, this is right on topic of what you're saying. So there's other, there's other, all these other things out there that could be funded and uh, put out on the market, right? That they're, you know, it's going to solve some problem. But if it's deemed to make less money, like, you got a, a pie in front of you, right? And you got so many, that's your resources. Yeah. So if you're a business, you're going to say, okay, well, I can only carve out so much of that pie for what I'm going to research. Right. And so what you do if you're going on the business side of it, and this is what we talked about, capitalism is not necessarily the best solution um, for this. Right. Uh, is that you're going to look at the top 10 or however many you want to split up and say, okay, I need this much and I can, I'm going to divvy it up. And when I run out of money, that's those are the ones that are going to get it all. So if you're whatever ailment it is, is not profitable enough, you may never get a get, treatment. get vested uh, investment into research that could develop into a treatment. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's shocking. So this guy just going 
counter yeah, that. Larry going. Norton. Uh, he's the deputy physician in chief for the breast cancer program at New York Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. My lord, it's quite a bit. You <laughs> always right. pick the mouthfuls. I know, man. Can you just work at the hospital? Uh, <laughs> Some doctor. <laughs> doctor. Hey, like, doctor and Doctor Norton yeah. at let's just Larry Norton at NYMSKCCS. Jesus. <laughs> Larry Norton says that there is a gap in the system. The biggest challenge we have today is not necessarily the science, it's creating a business model that makes sense. Yeah. Can I say to that, that is bullshit. <laughs> like, it is bullshit that that is what holds people back. It is bullshit. It drives me nuts, man. That and like and that's what's wrong with our mindsets that we think, oh, we just gotta find a way to make people money off of it. So well, and this is where our opinions may diverge a little bit. Sure. Um, and I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's bullshit to make money off of it in the sense. I think my main solution that we'll talk about later, it drives to the fact that you know I would I would prefer to see as I do with healthcare a partnership with private industry versus a solely government funded or or. I don't know how else you put it. Yeah. Run operation. Yeah. Single pair. Yeah. And so, I mean, and I don't, I'm not going to get into the total solution now, but to me, I mean, we got into the whole discussion earlier too off offline about how, um, yeah, there is, in my opinion, some fundamental good from the drugs that are created. The good is what benefit is being rendered by um, medicines. Not all. Um, and we We'll talk about, of course, opioids and uh, antidepressants and things that are just massively overprescribed. Um, Adderall, things to control your kids, yeah. right? Behavioral things. Um, but there are some people who do need those drugs. And I think I'm talking about maybe more of the, the minority, right, in, in the stuff that's prescribed. And, I, and, and that's why I wanted to talk about cancer. Yeah. Because that's where we, I feel like we have to say... I don't care if you're going to make money off this. I'm sick of losing family members to cancer. Fix this. Like, fix it now. Yep. Like, um... And we have an accountability issue. Yes. Yes. You know? According to Tufts uh, Center for Study of Drug Development, yep. they estimate that creating a new drug from early research to late-stage trials costs $1.3 billion. Sure. That's a that. lot of money. Yeah. And I, and I get it. Like, I do get it that... They don't have unlimited, it's massively but expensive. when we go back and look at their profits yep. on how much they're making yep. off a year, a 570,000% markup on a pill, yep. I think it's ridiculous well, to say go ahead, they finish. can't put people before profits. It's, well, it, and so that's where we get into accountability. Um, I'm not going to, again, dive into my solution completely, but we need a, a higher... So how do, how do these companies fund their research where do they get all the money for that i Let's uh, talk about that the national institute of health is a massive is u.s government entity yeah is responsible for funneling most of the money that the u.s government delegates for research on diseases like cancer yep now particularly um for cancer it goes through the national cancer institute so yep. we'll come back to the nih yep. um, and they contribute to about 15 percent of all clinical trials trials related they try not to give money to the evergreening yep uh 
So they have some scruples. But that means that they're they are the ones paying for the groundbreaking research. The groundbreaking yep. research. Yep. They like to call they have this term called the Valley of Death. I love this episode already. It's got all these cool things. Evergreening, you know, financial orphans, the valley of death. The valley of death this is so exciting, <laughs> is a term they <laughs> use to refer to the time um, so many drugs die. Uh, and that's where the funding will fall apart right before key human studies. Yeah, sure. And in 2013, the NIH gave $12.7 spread out to nine projects to research compounds under patent that were no longer being explored. Basically drugs that could help people for very small amounts of money. Yeah. And the only way the drug companies would even agree to research them further yeah. was if free money was given to them. Yeah, I mean, it is sad. Uh, that's where the oversight needs to be there, right? If I'm giving you billions of dollars to research and then take these drugs to trial and all this other stuff, yes, the money should be made. Um, I think that should be an agreed amount, you know, right, uh, to allow... Because you don't want the company to go under. If they're really producing good products, that we want, you want their staff to be maintained. You want the leadership to be maintained. You want a lot of things to be propped up. Um, but it, it needs to be within reason in the sense that it's attainable by the right. There shouldn't be this massive disparity between who, those who can afford care and who can't. We're not getting back into the health care debate. But I think that's a portion of it. This is a massive cost. And right, 30% of the stuff's not even being filled because people can't afford them. Yeah, one in four seniors um, I believe are that. skimping on their medicine or stretching it thinner to right. cut down on cost. Insulin? In, uh that was the other one that we didn't go into because I feel like it's pretty well covered. It's covered. It's yeah, covered, but, but it's, it's a massive issue. What we're trying to put... I, I feel it's like a, we paint these really big heart. pictures and we and we fail. Like, we hope that you're putting the narrative together like yeah. that we're putting out. But like we're saying, the money is not... Nowadays, nowadays, yeah. the money is not going to curing so, cancer. Yep. It's going towards making a profit fighting cancer. Yep, it's going to maintaining drug patents... It's going to ensuring that those things that are patented are what's being prescribed, be through sales, and it's ensuring that those are incentivized through pharmacies and, and uh, insurance so that they are approved and um, easily I have, prescribed. I have a, a perfect uh, a case or example to talk about, but I'm, I'm going to get to it because yeah. I want to lay my foundation. Let's do this. Uh, some cancer treatments cost are costing $100,000 for a course of them. And, like, what happens with most cancer treatments is eventually they're paired. They're paired together to form one stronger drug or whatever, one compound. Yep. And so, eventually, we could be looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars for one round of chemotherapy yep. for your cancer. How many people have that laying around? The burgeoning costs of health care. I mean, it's not just the people. It's the insurance industry, right? Talking about driving up premiums for everybody else in the market. It's not the people's fault they have cancer or whatever their ailment is. I, they should be treated. But the cost should be so astronomical that even the uh, insurance industry starts getting buckled by these, these burgeoning costs, right? You don't want everyone in the market to be paying more because of that. So uh, that Global Cures, the one I talked about yep. earlier, um, Sukotmi and his wife, um, they're the ones trying to, you know, whatever, get out these financial orphans. Right, prop they, them up. Yeah, prop them up. And so the pushback against that is that cancer research, like the big thing is now immunotherapy. And, and what, quick overview, immunotherapy shuts down the cancer cell's ability to evade 
the body's immune response. So the, it actually fights the cancer. It, yeah, so your body can actually, your body's the one fighting the cancer. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And that's a new way. <clears throat> and it was, it was viewed as a failed approach until recent molecular breakthroughs that made it relevant and practical. Yep. And that's, that's what we're doing. That's where the new research is. And it cost a ton of money to do that research on a molecular level. Drugs like your boy, Okay. From Bristol Myers Squibs, Squibs. Yep. Uh, they grossed nine hundred sixty million dollars in twenty seventeen, and this treats advanced melanoma. One treatment goes for one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, uh, Gleevec from Novartis costs wow. four point seven. Uh, grossed four point seven in global sales, and it treats myeloid leukemia. Recently, the FDA just opened it up for other forms of leukemia. Wow. Now. Um, Global Cures, again, they're the ones identifying the financial orphans, and they said belief to enhance the immune response to tumors. So what some scientists are saying is that their approach is dirty medicine. The whole world is going forwards towards targeted therapies, and they're going backwards is what they're, some scientists say. Mm -hmm. But Sukhotny believes that... Um, Alternates have a synergistic effect that can't be reduced to a single molecular target. Meaning there's... Gotta get the whole body on board. Like, just because it doesn't target the one molecule doesn't mean it's useless. Mm -hmm. um, so the big one is, like, breast cancer and NSAIDs. Like, that's the one uh, guy's talking about, too. The NCI estimate... Uh, estimates the annual cost of breast cancer in the United States is $19 billion. Okay, that's how much we're spending on breast cancer. Wow. Now, Sikotmi, uh, I'm so sorry if I'm butchering that. He, I'm sure you are. I know, I <laughs> do. Uh, if you listen to the art cart, you know it's not new for me. Uh, this guy <laughs> argues that if a single, uh, if the single insertion of a low-cost drug could save lives and put a dent in those costs, it's worth the money to study it. Yeah. And the drug that he pushes for is something called Ket, uh, Ketorlac. Okay. It's another NSAID. A lot of stuff. Like, it's crazy. There's, like, drugs out there that can do crazy good things for us, but because they are cheap, the, the, the research won't be funded. And um, this is the one that like, really got to me. Uh, this lady is named Dr. Fiona Simpson. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll, we'll put the links to everything I'm quoting yeah, here. Yeah, we got a lot to put out there. But she lost her mom to cancer, and um, she became, she was already a researcher, researcher, but she came determined to beat cancer, yep. and she found a way to test if a chemo drug would work or not on a patient. Not every chemo, but very specific. Okay. It was for head, or neck and head cancer, Okay. and I'm sure that's <clears throat> even vague, but because um, the problem was only 15% of the people who took the drug had a success rate. But 85% that didn't still had all the horrible side effects. Side effects. Yeah. So um, she took that to the big pharma companies. And they said no. Because at $60,000 per patient, they didn't want to lose out on 85%. Sure. They wouldn't get that drug that yielded the side effects. They, they, would, they didn't want to have it not be prescribed because it wasn't going to work. So she does a great job explaining this, and I'm going to butcher it, but I can get the story out. Yeah. So she, in her previous job, uh, happened to research something called antibody-dependent cellular 
Cytotoxicity. Yes. Yep. Okay. This is what comes working at the hospital comes in handy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, she's the woman who found a protein that would fix the issue with the 85%. Okay. Found a way to... It, it changed the proteins, so it made them all receptors, not just certain ones. Okay. And, so the drug would work? Yes. Now, um, <clears throat> the problem was that they needed to inhibit this molecule called um, Dynamon. Sounds like a Pokemon, but Dianamon. Okay. D-I-N-A-M-O-N. I don't even think that's right. I, I That was the whole phonetics there coming yeah. in. Yeah, okay. And uh, <laughs> basically it was a molecule she needed to inhibit, but people said that it was too harmful to do it. Okay. Because it was important. It, it, it was linked to like our vision and stuff. So like they that. didn't want to inhibit the molecule that was providing some benefits and but it was stopping the medicine from working. Okay. Right. But she was paired with this lawyer working on this presentation, and he sent her this thing. And there's this other drug called Stematol. Okay. And Stematol has a side effect of inhibiting the enzyme, the, the molecule, the dynamon. Yep. And okay. Stematol is something taken by like tons of people because it's basically a tr treatment for motion sickness. Hmm. Wow. Okay. And um, yeah, travel sickness. And if in high doses, it can be used as an antipsychotic. Wow. Yeah. And so she found that... So she found a, a solution to a problem there. The, and it's it been work. a drug that had been out and approved for 60 years. Okay? So she tested it on mice. Okay. And she did it with, like, highly aggressive tumors. The tumors disappeared. And she got to phase one with humans, and four patients were studied, and they found, for the first time ever, they could move the drug target on a tumor, meaning they could changed the cells that were respond responding yep and like even though she's doing all this good work she was nearly shut down like four times like it was basically like grassroots crowdfunded to get there and she's doing this talk and she went to do the next clinical trial she approached the drug company that made the antibody that they needed okay and they didn't want to help because they have new drugs in the pipeline that are going to fight cancer and through the targeted therapy in this just so it's a competitive product no this just isn't going to make them money oh it's not going to make as much money it's this not going to make as money it's an old drug that they can't just jack the prices up on or anything so phase two cost five million dollars and um this was in 2018 i don't know if she's ever got the money you start. She better have got freaking GoFundMe because we need her to be successful. That's wild. I want to be the one to have uh, cancer and not get cured because these people aren't making enough money off this shit. And and literally, she said, you know, she said, when I got in this to cure cancer, no one told me that I had to make sure people were gonna get rich off it. Well, people don't understand the business side. It's really sad. I mean, it's that's part of what we're trying to bring to light. Is you know, yes. The opioid crisis is massive and killing tons and tons of people. Still, though, driven by money and greed and the need to sell. And, uh, you know, across the board, you have just uh, a lack of accountability again and a solution that does not drive us toward the common good, right, for, for the people that it's supposed to be helping. Right.
No, absolutely. So, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I just have that uh, <clears throat> one gentleman from the uh, Joe Rogan. Oh, yeah. That's a neat podcast. Yeah, a guy named... You need to check it out. Google or YouTube it. Chris Kesser. And uh, he said, We've accepted chronic disease as normal because it's so common. But there is an important difference between what is common and what is normal. Sure. Nice quote. Yeah. And uh, so he talked about the Somani tribe. Okay. And Bolivia. They're, yeah, from Bolivia. And it's like one of the last groups of people who live... As we would have lived without modern influences and all that. Yes. I'm sorry, I keep finishing your sentence. No, no, it's good. <laughs> it's great. No, you're doing a good job. we got to finish the show sometime. Nah, so, we're going to go forever. We're going to go forever. Forever. Yeah, so these these people, <laughs> the Samani, they're on a paleo diet. And if you don't know what that is, you can look it up. It's fun. And uh, <laughs> That's not fun. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And, I love pizza. <laughs> uh, I know. I know. I wouldn't do it. And they walk eight miles a day. They are in sync with the sun cycle, sleep seven to eight hours. They, the researchers were trying to ask the tribe about insomnia. It's funny. And yeah, they don't even have a word for insomnia because they all sleep good. They all work and they sleep good. They wish you all had that. 80% lower heart disease than rates than the U.S. Wow. And in the study, they were checking people from, like, what do you say, 50 to, like, 40s to 94. Like, these people aren't, like, hunter-gatherers that die at 35. Yeah. They have almost no cognitive disorders, too. Right. So, like, Alzheimer's and dementia. Yeah. Talking about they don't have this massive epidemic of people that die of old age or are super forgetful and they're, you know, they call it old age when... So and they don't have the drug companies. Yep, they don't have people. They don't. They don't hear uh, how AstraZeneca, I think, is one of them can help you or whatever. You know, the Pfizer. The one that, the one that's just absolutely ridiculous is Abilify. Okay. And Abilify is approved for the FDA to oh. be an antipsychotic. Yep, you showed it. You showed me this. Okay, yep. but in 2014, early 2015, it was the number one selling drug in the country. How is an antipsychotic the number one selling drug in a country with oh, no. relatively low rates of psychotic people? Yeah. And the answer is that doctors are allowed to prescribe off book. Yep. Basically, not for what the drug was meant or approved for. Or tested for. Yep. Doesn't have to be. Yeah. It doesn't have to be proven. It's going to solve the issue. It has to be FDA approved. Could literally approved, prescribe you anything. And the doctor can prescribe it to you for basically anything. And again, I put forth this problem that doctors need to get out of the game. Like they need to say these are the, this is the treatment that you need, and then go to like a pharmacist or somebody, and be like, okay, this is what I need, and what's the cheapest way we can get that done? But you know what would happen? The pharmaceutical companies would just start sending lobbyists to pharmacies and. Well, they did, they they would incentivize it in some fashion, right? Yeah. Uh, and oh my gosh, speaking of the lobbyist side of it, I mean, our politicians are a major driver in this. Those those folks are not uh, creating barriers and and um, a legal framework where accountability is required, right? They set up these entities, these government agencies that are given the grant money. It should be a demand of our taxpayer dollars, the, the stewards of those dollars. To say, if you want X amount of dollars, I want in your grant proposal, you're going to have to provide me with some metric or some 
report out on a regular interval to explain where this money's going, what it's doing. I don't want to. I don't want you telling me that sixty percent of yes. it is going to marketing because I don't care if you market the damn thing. I care if it actually solves the problem. If it solves the problem and the doctors know about it, you won't have to market it because they're just going to prescribe it because it's it's in medical journals and being published to them and explaining how it's solving the problem. So and like again, this is not a simple issue. This is very multifaceted. But like a thing to bring up from 2010 to 2016, out of the 210 drugs approved by the FDA, yep, all of them were funded. By the NIH. Yep. National Institutes of Health. Like that is government your tax dollars. Yep. Okay. Are funding research for the drugs. Yep. And I hope you know that we're the test subjects. Not like me and Brent. But like America. All the time you go to the doctor. All that, all that stuff that's collected. Yep. That goes to the NIH. Yep. That, and then. And. So they give them that information. And they give them money to do further testing. How how are we not we don't get any kickback for that it's like we're making a deal right we're making a deal with the devil uh, no well <laughs> we are but with these companies we're saying hey we're going to give you money to fix us yeah and then you have to develop all this stuff and, and fix our problems and there's no requirement for them to ever do that we're just handing the money out find figure out these these things and then they're it's, allowed to make unlimited profits off this. It's just, it's crazy. And and not only are they making unlimited profits, they're evergreening the patents, like Brent said earlier. So, and what that means is like, they like you go to you go to Walmart and you want to buy Tylenol. There's the name brand Tylenol, but there's also the Equate brand, right? And it's like super super cheap, but it's the exact same. So yeah, you can save some money if you want to. Right. If you want to buy the name brand, you can. What these drug companies are doing are patenting their formula their compound so that no other companies can make it they cannot have a generic on the market by yep. doing that they're allowed to capitalize the market uh, monopolize the market monopolize. and yep. capitalize on that and then jack up their prices and so what brent was also saying earlier is the money that they could be using to cure cancer or something they're going back to like their insulin product they're changing a small formula yeah. made a small change in the formula in the compound yep. and they reissue they'll reissue the patent to extend it and like New when name. they reissue a patent we're talking i think 75 years um, 50? no uh the patents themselves i think it's more like 10 years 10 years yeah, for you, songwriting you're guaranteed stuff, a, it's like uh, 75 it's i think for songwriting it's 50 years after the composer dies yeah, but that's isn't I that? Know, a, that's copyright yeah. law songwriting. Different ballgame with patents, I'm sure. But yeah, something like that. That's what they're doing, and they're locking it down for X amount of years. It's not super long though. So we have doctors being lobbied. We oh, sorry. Initial twenty year protection. Twenty years. Yep, for patents. And that's that's not long enough. Well, it's it's again, it's the it's the, the business trade. model, you know, and if you have a market cornered. Um, there's been other monopolies in history, antitrust laws, right? That's why they exist, to break up these monopolies and make a situation where the consumer is not being completely taken advantage of. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> I think we owe it to ourselves to kind of push the issue on it because if we don't, I don't, there's there's no way that they, this, um, 
model's gonna correct itself. There's just no possible way. It's just gonna get uglier and uglier, more expensive, yeah. more expensive. Um, and something's gonna break at some point. It's just a matter of, I have no idea what that means. What's gonna happen? It means that, okay, and this is where I think this is important to talk about the other side of things. Sure. Like, and we're not doing big food today, nope. or anything like that, but like, uh, this will be a few days old by the time everyone hears this, but Bill Maher did a bit where he talked about how I don't want to categorize it the way Corden did. But, yeah, it's not uh, super kind. No, but basically Bill Maher was saying that, you know, we it, it's the way we eat that affect us. And I think that the data I found earlier talking about the tribe in Bolivia that mm -hmm. shows that without fast food, without artificial light, without all these other things, yep. you don't need to take all this medicine. You know, if we eat, eat better, if we take care of ourselves better, we could probably have single payer, no problem. Yeah. And, and if we, if we did have single payer, the government would then have a hell of a bigger incentive to find the cheaper treatments, like aspirin for breast cancer. Like I, that's, I know it's an oversimplification, but it's still like a valid research that's actually being put out and governments that do foot the bill for their medical bills are interested in cheaper technologies yeah i mean a lot of stuff is it's bound together um so i mean like the diet is tied together with your overall health which if your overall health is declining then you need the medicines and then you you know your ability to afford the medicines is dependent upon your standing in society the job you have and your ability to afford insurance because um, without that you're basically like we were talking earlier um you're you're hung up to dry you're spreading yourself thin with it or you're not getting it at all um and so i mean it's kind of like it's it's almost cycle too like if you you know if you are not of means and you have a poor diet then you're naturally going to be down that path of being less healthy and then needing the drugs Whereas if you have money, you're typically probably a little more healthy. You're going to a doctor more often. They're helping coach you on the right diet and all this, that, and the other. You could afford to eat healthier with buying vegetables and not going to convenience stores to shop. So it's just like this this um, massively connected web of things. Um, and, you know, I, it's not impossible to improve things bit by bit, but I think it's all definitely connected. I assume a lot of people that watch this show are close to our age and are familiar with the term grinding. Like you grind for things in video games, it's something that takes you many hours to do, but you achieve that thing. I encourage us to think of our health as a grind. Yeah. That it is something worth the time and the energy we put in, that we will not see the benefits of it until much further down the road, though. Well, the, the massive benefits, you know, and granted, things happen to people. But if you take care of yourself, you're going to be a lot better off when you're old than if you don't. There was a uh, great NPR study, or <clears throat> NPR radio segment, that talked about families who, uh, it was this, they un unearthed this, like, uh, thing in Ireland or Scotland, a church that kept, like, very, very vigorous records of everybody in the towns, like, their, how when they're born, who they married, how their kids lived, died generations of this okay and they were able to take a lot out of that data and they found that like parents who went through a famine or something like that their kids actually had a lower chance of heart disease by 40 percent 
I think it was like a massive change. Hmm. And like, what is our diets doing to our kids? Oh yeah, I know. And like, and that's just something I encourage you to think about. If you don't care about your health, think about your kids' health. Yeah, I know. If you don't have kids yet, especially if you do have kids, I mean, I guess you go for it. If you but have kids, you do what you got to do. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> it's important to stop and think about what you're putting into their bodies and the habits you're building and teaching them. So, I, and that's where <clears throat> I think the, that's where I think a lot of these problems would, yep. would help if the if we had that personal accountability. Yeah. So let's talk about solutions. I love solutions. What do you have? I have no solutions. No, my, my biggest idea is that uh, I would love to see a non-profit drug company. Okay. I would like to see a company that says we're going to pay the salary X number of dollars to both the executives and the researchers. And all the money that we have is not going to anything but new drugs. Like new drugs that... Uh, the focus needs to be on the patients not the profits right so instead of looking at the amount of money you'd make off of a drug you'd look at how many people would benefit from that drug yeah and and i think your incentive and where you shop it to is the countries that have something where the government is involved in the healthcare companies because again like if you think about it the other way too the pushback from scientists that work for those breaking companies doing the targeted cancer therapy yeah. they want to work there because it's the groundbreaking research they want to be on be part of it they want to be part <clears throat> of it and it's not flashy to go back and say well let's see what aspirin does i get that i mean yeah. i do get that but i think if we have countries who are footing the bill they're interested in aspirin so get a non-profit drug company that has a bunch of bleeding heart scientists that are super passionate about doing it get executives that are also super passionate know their strengths willing to work for a good cause that they're not gonna make 60 million dollars a year in the private sector i mean i know it gets ridiculous but i i believe there are people out there i believe these people out there exist and and i, I would love to see even the billionaires in our country start dropping the money on this bill and melinda gates they could they could drop fifty million on that lady. Yeah, they could for sure. That'd be they probably aren't even aware that's something they could do. Sounds like something their foundation would be interested in for sure. Any solutions for you? I I'm excited. Uh, You've been tiptoeing around this one. I like an idea that a person a lady named uh, Mariana Maz Mazacuto Mazacato. Ah, welcome to Forgive my world. Forgive me, Mariana. <laughs> Um, she wrote an article in the Washington Post called Big Pharma is Hurting Drug Innovation. And I like an idea that um, she proposed. It, it, it's, ba it's based on the idea of uh, DARPA, which is the U.S. Uh, Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, which is basically a mission-oriented uh, um, research arm of the U.S., um, military it's it's a defense contractor type organization um, but these are the folks who develop you know um, all kinds of defense capabilities and a lot of other things um, and I don't have any uh, examples specifically I think like stealth technology and things like that they were involved in but think about the most cutting-edge military advancements that we have and are using today and there still exists their DARPA still around um, it's a it's Weren't they the ones that did like the whole uh, 
psychic thoughts. Probably. And... I think the CIA did some of that too. Yeah. Okay. But um, probably. Sure. Uh, did some testing on it. So DARPA, it's I like that concept. And so like take it and flip it over to like the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, creating a DARPA type entity that drives forward the agenda. Um, basically, the government would set their priorities, um, but the agency would would follow through um, with that uh, pro those priorities by seeking help and, and input and uh, you know production from the, the private industry. Like they would fund those, but it's the accountability piece that's missing, right? DARPA, when they work with private contractor agencies, it's a project and there's milestones, there's goals, and there's accountability, there's metrics. How are we performing on this? Are we meeting our milestones? Is our, is our goal gonna be met by the due date, right? And making sure that the benefit is there. But that's, I feel like that's what Big Pharma does and kind of got us into this. Because their, their, their end goal is capitalism. Correct. But Don't whatever. it was a governmental agency. Would not be. Yeah. They would basically be uh, fueling the innovative path of the private organizations and, and guaranteeing that those innovations actually make it into production and sure. out there for those of us in uh, the world that need this. So basically, you know. HHS through this health DARPA could put pressure on companies making sure that the benefits are shared with the public right they're focusing on innovation reinvesting those profits uh, instead of doing share buybacks which I didn't talk about earlier but that's where a lot of the money these companies make goes to is they're buying back shares to increase their amount of control over their own company um, and also uh, so they'd be driving transparency right Making sure that we know where the hell our tax dollars are going, and they would they could create conditions to make sure that those new drugs are affordable. They could help set the pricing from that. Uh, that was one of my other kind. Of, I, I call it a silly solution. I would love to see how much um, the active ingredients cost printed on my prescription. That'd be amazing. If you're paying, you, know, you don't know what your active ingredients are anyway. Let alone what they cost. Sure, but you're paying two thousand dollars for drug and then you add it all up and you find out it costs 14 cents to make this is dandelion powder and linseed oil well yeah i know i know and i'm not trying to get to like the bottom of the ingredients i'm just, I'm just saying like i think people i i feel like we live in a world with social media that we could shame drug companies into saying this is ridiculous this is kind of like with the trump administration or someone did where they're trying to get the hospitals to publish all their procedure costs or whatever and I oh, get I why they're trying to do that, I but that, that's a little different because yeah. it doesn't work exactly. Like, if you're in the hospital and you had a stroke, you're not going to go, I'm going to get off my deathbed here and, and shop go, around. Yeah, so. Yeah, no, I get you. But, yeah. I, I get you. Yeah, I, there has to be something. And I think it's back to a lot of, like, gun control, incremental change to drive us toward a better state. We need to care, and we need to care enough yes. that it's not simple i i know it's not simple and i hope we haven't just confused everybody but like i, I like to talk about penicillin because mm. when the guy found penicillin you know what he did he didn't he didn't patent it nope. he left it open yep so we could saw, save lives money was countless. not countless lives money was not his end goal okay and um that's not gonna happen again it feels like well and at least the current model is not going to support that. Well, here's the other big issue is that 
big pharma is shutting down a lot of their research divisions. They don't even right. have the research division right. because they'll piggyback off of educational institutions. Yep. That the are learning hospitals and the labs. Yep. I yeah. Got and it's not fair. I hate to say right. it like that, but it's it's not. You should just throw your hand up like Bernie. I know. Ah, I had enough. I'm sick of it. <laughs> no, you know, in all seriousness, yeah, something needs to be done. I think that if at the very least our government needs to hold those dollars being given to the drug companies accountable, there needs to be something there. That's that's the very base minimum. What what the money going for? This is the worst thing because it's like the like I don't know how you do it because the more you meddle, I I don't know what you do. You can't tell them don't spend the money on marketing. Why? Why can you? They're, they're private companies. I'm not going to give it to you if you do. You're not going to give them what? Make a contract in the grant and say, I won't, you cannot spend this money on marketing. Do you think they really care about that small amount of money? I don't know how much money is offhand, but I think they probably care about any money. I mean, I agree, but I like... I don't think I have any dollar amounts on how much money... Yeah, it's really hard to find dollar amounts on how much drugs actually cost. It's hard to find prices on how much executives make. It's hard to find prices on how much the researchers make. I do know that Pfizer's exec chief executive made reportedly $27.9 million in 2017. But that doesn't talk about the ratio to the researcher. No, 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 uh, no, not at all. Yeah, that's um, right. That, yeah, I know that's public information This the on publicly traded companies. Um, so, I mean, I think we might be going down a bit of a rabbit hole there, but I think that it is, it's very, um, and I, it's important to understand the U.S. taxpayer has funded research over every single one yeah. of the 210 new drugs that the FDA has approved between 2010 and 2016. Every yeah. single one. That's us. Like, that is, that is our investment, and we're getting ripped off for our investment. Yep. It's like a con. It is. It's one of the biggest things, biggest parts of the con that no one's getting. We're all off fighting individual problems. Not that they're not problems. That's that, again, you said it earlier. I know I hate to go back on points. I really do. But it's such a scary thing to think that if your disease isn't profitable, they don't research it. Yeah. You could literally have some majorly curable issue. And they won't even pursue it at all because it's not going to make any money. How do you how do you take comfort or solace in these things? This is I'm asking questions it's, to the general public yeah, now. Yeah, it's business. Let us know your thoughts though, because that's just part of this, right? We really want to know out of this uh, all of what we said, the stats, the opinion points, the stuff that just breaks your heart. That you're hearing. Yeah. Let us know what you think. Like we want to start an open discussion about this and understand like what solutions do you have? What are we missing in our points? And that's. I don't know if you did the research on it, but that the little I read on it seems to be that the pharmaceutical companies seem to be giving, increasing their donations more on the right than the left. They are, yes. I actually have some of that uh, information. I'm not gonna. We're, we're you know we're we're too far I think into this for me to rattle off every single dollar amount I have, but I can tell you, you know, I could maybe list some examples. Um, the stakes are high, right? If the Senate flips to the Democrats, yeah. um, the uh, the pharmaceutical research and manufacturers of America lobby is going to freak out because they're giving a bunch of money to Republicans, and that's what's shaping. Pretty sure Darren LaHood, his number one uh, industry that 
Pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Yeah. CVS, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. And so, I mean, uh, anybody running for re-election, uh, let's see, for uh, last the last election cycle, uh, for mid-2017, $115,000 each for the 27 uh, senators that were running for re-election. Each. Yep. And... Um, <clears throat> And that's so like John and one treatment of cancer. Senator John Cornyn, Texas. Yeah. Large critic of uh, the way he he actually is a critic of how drug makers use patents extended in monopolies um, and block competitors. Right. He introduced a bill that would empower the government to sue these folks. He's got a, a reelection fight. They're they're giving money to him. So some of these folks, it's it's so complicated these issues, right? Yeah. Um, but other things I know. That you and I wouldn't be overly happy about that he supports, you know that that money's going toward that as well. Yeah. So and it's it's just like right. this tangled web. Um, so you have Democrats, Republicans getting money from these folks. Most of the Democrats are getting a lot less than Republican folks. Like nineteen Senate Republicans running for twenty twenty, um, they collected on average more than thirty two thousand five hundred from each pharmaceutical industry, while eleven Democrats same situation collecting about $20,000. So, yeah. I mean, the numbers are, are, aren't lying. They're putting money on both sides, but the majority of it's going to keep the status quo. I don't know what information that I want you to walk away with from this episode, people, but I would encourage you to ask your doctor if there's a cheaper medicine, if you can't yes. afford your medicines. Know you're being ripped off. I know would... that the, the pharmaceutical industry is not out there to necessarily take care of you. There is a, like I said, my opinion is there is an underlying mechanism that is good in that <clears throat> we need some medicines to improve our lives. But <clears throat> we don't need this this almost like twin to the military-industrial complex, which we're going to talk about in an episode someday. Mm. Um, we don't need a twin to that that is a self-fulfilling, self-perpetuating monster of an industry that is just driven toward profit at the expense of the public that it's supposed to be serving and that that serves it and i think the more important i don't want to say more important but the, it is the prolonging sickness sure like they're keeping us sick yeah you said uh somebody quoted that we make more money trying to prescribe drugs to healthy people yeah versus the sick because there's a larger population of healthy healthy people right i mean it makes sense it's sick but it makes sense <laughs> I know, and this is, I think this is the issue. Liberals, if you want universal health care, well, we got to get eating better, people, because at the rate we're going, we can't afford universal health care. It'll bankrupt our country, and I hate to be the guy that says that, because I believe in universal health care so much. I do not like insurance companies. I do not think we should make a dime of profit off people's sickness. Mm -hmm. I just think that's morally reprehensible. Uh, but I also understand that countries do need money and dying on the Gotta hill. pay for some. Yeah. Doesn't, Everybody doesn't if, solve it, the bigger problem. Everybody and their brothers <laughs> taking all the resources. There's not enough to go around, and we're all dying everything anyway. It's great. So, uh. This has been fun, though. Really. Milk, <clears throat> milk gives you cancer, cheese gives you cancer, eggs gives you cancer, but don't worry, because that gives you cancer, too. Yep. So. It's all, <laughs> it's all relative. <clears throat> all so, right. on that note, guys. Yeah, this is fun. Thanks for tuning in. Glad to be back with you. And you know, uh, we're not, we're back, still on next week. Back but, on the schedule. Yep. And uh, the grind. Topics to come. Yeah, I don't know what we're doing next week. We're going to stick political. We've gotten down this rabbit hole of like uh, 
Neat topics that interest us, yeah. Yeah, I We're going to come back to this. Yeah. Don't worry about that. We're, we're going to, I think, you and I say we'll take a look at the top three Democratic candidates next week. I think we should dive into those differences, similarities, our opinions. So, uh, ready. watch those uh, clips that I share. Watch the Bill Maher one. Uh, let's talk about diet. Uh, eventually, we're going to do big food, yeah. too. Yeah, what do but... you think about Bill Maher's approach to that? I want it. That's the one killing me. Yeah, so look at Bill Maher, and then uh, what's the guy? James is it James Corden? Yes, I think yeah, so. James Corden. He's a late chi- uh, late night host on CBS. He did like a rebuttal calling Bill Maher out uh, for his approach. Yes. So, uh, yeah, let us know what you think, and tune in next week. And um, more great stuff to come, guys. Yeah. So have a nice night. Have a nice week. And we'll see you next week.